Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. So welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping. We have a pretty esteemed crowd with us here today. We have Mr. Thomas Hall. Thomas is from the uh, management consulting practice, and he specializes in restructuring sourcing services relationships. We have Mr. Andrew Goschak. Andy is also a member of the management consulting practice and specializes in the governance and organization design and implementation of managing service relationships. And to get us a little bit of a different flavor here about some of the things that firms should be thinking about, we have Kelly Coombs. Uh, Kelly is from the risk management part of KPMG, and she focuses on emerging technologies in general, but also as it focuses on risk mitigation, IT security, and process controls, which are all very important things that we need to think about when we look at the use of digital labors. So for all three of you, thank you very much for joining. You're some of our key thought leaders, so I think we'll have a very good discussion here today. We're focusing on a very timely topic, which is how do organizations enable the use of digital labor in general and in particular relative to the use of incumbent outsourcing service provider relationships? Obviously, a lot of firms are looking at the implementation of digital labor. They're doing it on their own. But also many organizations have third-party service relationships with information technology or business process outsourcing firms. They're also implementing digital labor. So we want to talk a little bit today about how do you approach that? How do you make sure you're getting the benefits? And in particular, what are some of the issues relative to understanding contractual obligations? Well, thanks. We're going to start the conversation by breaking down the title, Enabling Digitized Labor for Incumbent Outsourcing Service Relationships. And let's start with incumbent outsourcing. We're not talking here about the digital experience that Stan might have with his phone interacting with Twitter and where his bank applications and such. This is about business to business in the realm of existing service provider relationships for mostly corporate services. So IT infrastructure, hosting and support services, application maintenance and development services, as well as corporate business processes like finance and accounting, HR talent, procurement, and also business process services, direct business process services. And we're seeing most of the activity in IT services and particularly finance and accounting and procurement services in BPO. So when we say digitized labor, digital labor, there's a lot of definitions out there in the marketplace, RPA, digital, cognitive, AI, all these things. For purposes of this discussion, we're going to frame our taxonomy around KPMG terminology. And what we do is we classify digital labor. And class one is really basic process automation, taking a manual process and using software to deliver that service instead of human activity. Class two is elevated a bit. It's more reasoning automation or automation of the reasoning skills. So rules-based decisions that are implemented over unstructured data a little more sophisticated. And class three is what we hear about and read about cognitive AI solutions like IBM Watson and others out there that kind of work like brains. What we're talking about today is enabling companies that have 
current outsourcing arrangements for the scope of services we described and moving forward with class one and class two digitization of those services. So when we say enabling, what we're saying specifically is what does it take to free up opportunities to digitize work as we described, the processes that make up the scope of an outsourcing relationship. Where do you start and how do you move forward? Turning to Andy, is this already happening in existing contracts and existing relationships that clients have with their service providers? I've read a lot and I've heard a lot from providers about how they're aggressively adopting these technologies. So is this being really pushed into the existing relationships or is it a scenario where depending on the contractual conditions and the existing relationship, this might not be applicable? Should the client assume that they're going to get the benefits of digital labor or are there things they need to do to make sure they get the benefits? And if so, what would those be? A lot of what you said is true that this dynamic of productivity in an outsourcing contract is something that's been around for a long time. The way that works is that the cost of the services should come down over time based on the idea that the provider can reduce its cost through additional labor arbitrage, process improvements, and other efficiency gains. However, digital labor and process automation in particular are creating a whole new dynamic in the industry. In the past, year-on-year productivity gains were measured in maybe single digits. And a lot of times these were eaten up by cost of living and other contract pricing adjustments, which translated into very, very little net benefit for the buyer. Now we're seeing the potential to reduce costs by 30 to 50% with digital labor as a key enabler. That is a game changer. So it's a scenario then where the buyer may not be experiencing the full benefit that the provider is able to achieve from their own investment within digital labor. If they either aren't aware of it or don't have the right contractual conditions, is that accurate? That's right. If you take the example of a fixed price contract stand that might have been negotiated three years ago, neither party really fully understood the acceleration of process automation opportunities. And the client might be getting some incremental benefit, say 2 or 3% every year of price decline. But in the current environment, the provider is able to automate a lot more activities. And what that means is that potentially the provider's profit margin is going up significantly. And the customer really isn't sharing as much in that benefit as they should. Kelly, then, what are some of the things organizations need to do to address this with their service providers? If there are these changes that are going forth, is it looking at renegotiating contracts? Is it just calling the service providers to the table? If we look at the broad scope of the beneficial benefits of digital labor and digitization, what do buyers need to do if they're in an outsourcing arrangement to make sure they're capturing their fair share of the value, recognizing that the service provider has their own fair share of the value, but as Andy just said, maybe they're not getting enough of it. So we're seeing a fair amount of challenges in the marketplace in ways that customers or clients should be reacting to this changing outsourced relationship. Andy mentioned this is a new emerging technology Um, So a lot of existing contracts don't take into consideration some of the risk or contractual language around this emerging technology. Challenges that we're facing currently at our clients are getting the right stakeholders involved across departments, the right level of involvement and input along their automation journey. Traditional outsourcing agreements might have heavily involved your business process department. When you are enabling digital labor or robotic process automation, we need to make sure that we're involving, you know, your IT, your SOCs, your compliance groups that also have a say in sort of the automation journey with your outsourcing provider. 
The current contracts that we're seeing are typically financial processes. We mentioned before Sarbanes-Oxley or SOX regulations. These existing contracts don't consider a SOC 1 over the specific automation technology. So if your outsourcing provider is hosting the automation platform, what assurance do you have that they have security controls and risk embedded in the platform that's supporting your automation? Contracts don't talk about IP ownership or what happens at termination of the contract. What happens to those automations? Who keeps the logic or what's been developed behind automating your business processes? To tie what Kelly just described with what Andy said earlier, the current contracts anticipate productivity models as Andy described. Year-over-year savings and the service provider sort of behind a curtain evolves their processes, try to drive additional profitability, notwithstanding they're delivering at a much lower cost year-to-year. Kelly points out that current contracts right now, they have mechanisms in them that are more static with respect to controls and testing. And most contracts as well have prohibitions in them of the service provider moving away from that static control environment. They're hamstrung on moving forward with digital. What needs to happen is the entire contract needs to be opened up, one, from a productivity standpoint and enabling digital labor from an operational standpoint, changing the operating model, but also then visibility for the customer to see that and to benefit from it financially as well as in terms of quality. As you perfect software on a process, your quality goes to 100% over time. But then you go back to Kelly's concerns. How do you modify the controls dynamic and make that a dynamic as opposed to a static process as digital is employed for more and more scope? There are a number of aspects of the current best-in-class sourcing contracts that require modification to enable this productivity delivered through a revised operating model. It's a very interesting point you make, Thomas, that this isn't all about the service provider perhaps having undue control over being able to achieve benefits they don't pass on. It, it also could be a factor of it's just the nature of the contract they have with their client, which constricts the achievement of some of the benefits. So it really does require the opening up of that contract. To build on what Thomas said, I, I mean, I agree completely that really the entire contract could potentially need an overhaul. So you're talking about everything from, you know, how you structure statements of work to, as Thomas mentioned, service levels, pricing, governance, all of these need to be looked at. I would add, though, that it's not just about the contract. For long-term success, there also has to be a foundation of trust between the service provider and the buyer. This digital transformation that we're talking about in the outsourcing industry is a fundamental one. And to thrive in that environment of change, providers and buyers are going to need to be flexible and transparent. And I know that for those of us who have been around outsourcing for a long time, true partnership has always been a very elusive concept and a challenging goal. But we really believe that it's going to be absolutely critical during this transformation period. It certainly has been a highly touted and elusive concept. So maybe the transition then, as we look at this new model, greater use of digital labor, revision of contracts to understand the current environment, what should firms be looking at from the standpoint of quality enhancement of service delivery versus cost reduction? Because we all know everyone speaks of they want more quality, they want more higher value added capabilities brought to their organization, but when it comes down to it, everybody wants to save money. How does the introduction of digital labor change that dichotomy, or or doesn't it? Or is it still all about cost reduction and quality improvements are nice to have, but still not really the big deal? 
It's a great question. To me, it's a little bit like the first wave of outsourcing, and offshoring was viewed as primarily a labor arbitrage cosplay. And as the industry matured, people became more interested in using outsourcing to expand capabilities as well and get other performance benefits. My experience so far with digital labor is that it's similar. So people are focused initially on kind of eye-popping numbers around cost takeout. So there's definitely a, a big cost component that's leading the way. But I suspect that the capabilities and the performance piece is going to follow on very quickly. Just piggybacking off what Andy said, a lot of companies are interested in robotic process automation or digital labor for the reasons he spoke about earlier. The benefits are huge. We're looking at a bigger cost takeout than traditional labor arbitrage. So it's a very attractive emerging technology that can typically be implemented by your outsourcing provider or even in-house at a very low cost. But what companies really need to be thinking about is not just the benefit and the cost takeout, but what are the risks and controls and potential implications to your overall processes when you are implementing digital labor. So we're seeing a lot of companies that early adopters that weren't thinking about risk and controls that have had to go back and sort of tweak their operating models and implement new governance functions to take into consideration the new risks with this emerging technology. We would recommend building a governance model from the introduction of the contractual changes with your outsourcing provider all the way to building out what do you envision your operating state and function to look like. So it's not enough just to have contractual language around what your outsourcing provider obligations are, but really understanding who is responsible, how are policies and procedures put in place to actually manage the program from initiation all the way through the run state. That's a great point, and I know we have you back on a forthcoming podcast to discuss that in a bit more detail, and we've done some other work in this area, but I think that there's a lot to be said around the complexities of governance when you introduce a digital labor element into it, and as we all know, when it comes to the governance of third-party relationships and contracts, a lot of organizations didn't do a great job in the past. I think we add this element, it's only going to get more complex, so I think that's a great point to highlight, and I think that's a great placeholder for some subsequent podcasts we'll be doing. One more point on it is in the sourcing relationship, there's always scope of work that's been outsourced. And then there's retained work and there's interfaces and interactions between sourced service provider and the retained company personnel and systems that do work across an entire process. If you think about the capabilities of digitization and replacing work with software, with bots, if you will, those opportunities reside not just in the scope of the outsourced services, but also in the retained scope across those end-to-end functions where a customer may be involved in subprocess A, B, and C, and then it goes out for D and E and comes back in for F. To harvest the savings potential, one would assess that entire process end to end. And then there are significant implications with respect to what Kelly was describing in controls and processes and governance with respect to maybe modifying that workflow and taking more services either out or in to enable the efficiencies of digitization. I think dynamic is a word someone used a little earlier. As Andy mentioned, I think the trust that he talked about is going to manifest itself in dynamic contract structures and dynamic governance structures to enable these efficiencies and share the benefits and share the quality uh, mutually in more of a, a partnership model between customer and service provider. 
As you mentioned, Stan, you know, I look forward to speaking on a, a second podcast around understanding how to set up a digital labor center of excellence to get into more of the details around risk and control and security implications. But from the onset, I think we've touched on making sure you are thinking about your contractual language and opening up the contract, as Thomas mentioned, to start changing the contract to address risks around this emerging technology with your outsourcing provider. Okay, great. Well, I, well, I look forward to that conversation. So, Andy, parting words? I think I would just build on what Thomas said. I think starting by assessing digital labor potential and process automation, particular in your existing sourcing contracts, is a great way to get started. There's a huge amount of potential value there, and it can also lead to even bigger opportunities when you look across the enterprise. Starting with that contract is a really good place to start. And I'll ask a final question for each of you, and I know this is a, a narrow-minded research question because I'm the research guy and you're the consultants. If, if you look across your clientele and if you wanted to rate them on a 1 to 10 scale on how good are they at addressing what we've discussed today from a contractual standpoint and from a going forward standpoint, where would you put them on that 10-point scale? And I know it depends, and that's why we're consultants, but if I could just get some sense from each of you, where do you think your typical client's at today? Um, I would say maybe a three to four. So we work with a lot of clients who are pretty sophisticated outsourcers who have been doing this for a long time, and they're pretty keyed into understanding uh, innovation, working with providers, governance. So I think there's a good foundation that they can build on, but this is a big leap forward, and so I think there's still quite a bit of learning that's happening. But again, I think there's a decent foundation to build on. Foundations are good. Kelly? I would agree with that. I would say typically my clients are scoring a little lower on the scale just given that their governance processes today don't take into account this emerging technology and some of their traditional processes need to be retrofitted to this technology and there's potentially a fair amount of work to do to change some of the mindset in your IT department as this is a technology that makes your business processes more efficient and has more business analysts and business stakeholder input. And would you say that your typical client is aware that they need to do that? They're working their way through it, or is there still a level of awareness raising that they need? Yeah, I think this technology boasts huge benefits. It's very attractive, and they're aware that there's security and risk implications, but how do they go about tweaking their governance or operating model has been a challenge. But definitely the awareness is out there, and, and it's definitely tip of their mindset as they're starting to embark on the automation journey. Okay. No, that's great. So, Thomas, to wrap up? Kelly and Andy and I have been involved with some very sophisticated customers that, that I would say they're at a six or a seven, but it's only a handful. I would score the market at about a two. Due to the complexities, this is a change the operating model of these enterprise services, but it's also a change in mentality of all the stakeholders who are involved in change to get there. So procurement, legal, as well as the advisor community, of which Kelly, Andy, and I are community, it requires a different type of thinking. And I don't think the market's there yet, but it's a very exciting place to be. We're going to have a massive step function over the next 12 to 18 months, and it's exciting to be part of it. To each of you, thank you very much. This has been a very insightful conversation, and I think I like the way we left it off, that it's going to be great opportunities, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I think each of you have given some very insightful advice around some of the things that need to be done, particularly on the blocking and tackling side of addressing some of the adoption of these technologies. So I think this has been some great advice today, and so I'm sure we'll have each of you back again. Thank you for your time, both in articulating the potential of what we've been talking about today 
relative to digital labor, but also some of the very practical and short-term considerations organizations need to have in terms of addressing how to make it work within their firm. For each of you, thank you very much. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation. 